Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. We are just eight days. Next Wednesday, July 26th, Highline Ballroom. It's going down. Our live podcast celebration of Rockefeller Records, and we have a hell of a panel. Yeah, hell of a panel, and we are also there. Let's go through the lineup, Jeff. We got Kareem Biggs-Burke. Yes, he is the guy who put up the money to found Rockefeller Records. Yes, we have Just Blaze. He is one of the guys who made the music on Rockefeller Records. We have Young Guru. He's the guy who mixed the music on Rockefeller Records. We have Shaka Pilgrim. She's the head of Rockefeller Records and Rock Nation. We have Lenny S. He is the A&R and also the guy who documents all of Rockefeller Records. We have Emery Jones. Wait, back to Lenny S. Lenny yeah. S. also has a gold couch. That's true. Okay. We have Emery Jones. Emery Jones is Jay-Z's best friend. And we have Freeway, who was on Rockefeller Records. And we have Kiombo Hip Hop Joshua, who rode around on a bicycle with no seat well, for Rockefeller Records. Well, and he was also the A&R behind all your favorite Rockefeller Records, discovered Kanye, discovered Just Blaze, picked all the beats for, for Jay-Z. An amazing person and a unicorn because he never does these interviews. And now he's doing an interview with all these people on the same stage. It's going down in just eight days. July 26th, Highline Ballroom. Get your tickets right now at itsthereal.com before they sell out. Jeff, any other business we have to get into? Yes, there is construction going on on our building, and I am tired of it. Well, uh, to the audience, uh, the unfortunate thing is you guys are going to have to hear some of that on today's episode. And just know, we did our best to record around that. Yeah, it's not our fault. No, they're they're Nobody's blaming us for the construction. (laughs) They're cutting tiles now, and you can hear it in the background. Uh, Hopefully, you guys will just ignore it like we tried to do. Other business. Oh, our music is killing it. Go listen to Teddy Bear Fresh. Specifically, our song Sugar High is at 155,000 plays on Spotify. Our song Girl Your Ass Like a Metaphor has passed 200,000 plays on Spotify. But if you have Tidal, if you have Apple Music, if you have Pandora, our music is everywhere. Go press play everywhere and anywhere. Let us know what you think. A lot of people. Google Play? Uh, it's on Google Play. Go to Google Play and play, guys. People freak out when you say Google Play. <laughs> and today on the podcast, Jeff, who do we have? We have Nadeska Alexis, who many people might know from sitting in between two loudmouths on Everyday Struggle, That's Complex's right. marquee show. That's right. And she's here to tell her story. A lot of people have been wondering who is Nadeska Alexis. And for the first time, she is here to tell her story. She starts in Grenada. She goes to Flatbush. And, you know, she's not like a new jack to this this, uh, rap journalism game. She's been around for about 10 years. We've known her for a long time, and we are happy to have her up to the Upper West Side. Great guests, great stories, great times. Guys, we'll see you next week at Highline Ballroom, July 26th. Go get your tickets right now so you are not locked out of the building. Jeff, when you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. About That Life, a.k.a. Mikey Likes It. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Art in the Paint, a.k.a. Cloud Monet. Is it my turn? It is. Okay, I only have one of these. Nadeska, <laughs> a.k.a. New York, a.k.a. Deska, a.k.a. People always say my name wrong. Hey! This is the way to tell me this is the real. Bow, 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 bow. Hey! You can also do Back to You, Nadeska. That's true. Does that count? Like, Nadeska, a.k.a. Back to You, Nadeska? I think yeah. it's great. There you go. I'm adding it to the list, you guys. Do you, do you have one of those shirts, or is that just Joe's? Yo, it's just Joe's. So, Complex is working on the official merch. It's taking a minute. <laughs> Joe took it upon himself to make the ratchet version, where he cannot spell my name right, and I just don't understand it. Apparently, that's how I am in his phone. So, our mom's name is Marjorie, mm-hmm. and for her entire life, everybody spelled her name wrong. Margarine. And she has, yeah. like, a whole like you know, 
poster yeah. of everybody spelling her name wrong throughout the years. What is the worst that somebody has spelled your name? The worst. To be honest, so I get a lot of dumb things. It's N-E, Nedeska. I get Nebraska. I get Madagascar. I get Madeska. You you don't believe, but to be honest, the one that irritates me the most, so my last name is Alexis. Very common last name, weird first name. Yeah. I hate it when people call me Alexis. I don't mind the misspelling of Nedeska. I'm used to it, but calling me Alexis makes me crazy, especially in emails. Right, yeah. I'm never answering your email if you say, hi, Alexis. Yeah. Never happening, period. Where are you originally from? I'm from Grenada in the Caribbean. And oh. how how many years did you live down there? Um, I lived there. I was ten when I moved to Brooklyn. Oh, really? So oh, wait, shit. do you guys know Grenada? The only uh, most Americans only know this cause a, because A, they've been of, on a cruise, or, or B, we follow Amanda Diva on Twitter. <laughs> okay, that was in my B, but that's yeah. a good B. <laughs> Shout out to Amanda Diva. Or C, there's like that little paragraph in every history textbook where. Uh, America invaded Grenada. Right. Uh, Grenada is not how they pronounce your first name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I lived there till I was 10. Um, and 10 then, years. And Any siblings? Open. Yes, I have. Well, technically, I have two sisters. I only grew up with one of them. Mm-hmm. So she's a few years younger than me. So when we moved, it was just me, my mom, and my sister. The rest of my family, I'd say 90 seven percent of them are still in Grenada had you been to New York before you moved here I'd visited maybe a couple times uh, I'd been to Toronto but visiting and moving is different yeah. yeah so moving was very sudden my mom had been working here for a year she was a nurse in Grenada I guess she was sick of it so she was working and sending money home I was my cousin was taking care of us something bad happened she came home she's like yeah we're moving to New York I feel like it happened in a three to five day span Whoa. I don't know if I got to say goodbye to my friends and all of that I remember do being, you want to say uh, bye now <laughs> yeah. bye everyone I'm sorry it took me so long but uh, it was completely traumatic but I started to get excited I was a kid I was like oh moving to New York is going to be amazing and I've seen it in the movies it's so fabulous and then we moved to Flatbush in 1997 and I was like this is garbage <laughs> I hated it I hated it at first but you're making like all new friends at that point. I wouldn't say we were making friends. I don't know if you guys know Caribbean women. I don't mean to stereotype. You're the first Caribbean woman we've ever met. <laughs> I doubt it. You know Amanda yeah. Diva, so you definitely know a couple. But like um, West Indian moms, they're like a little uh, strict mm-hmm. is the mildest way that I could put it. Yeah. Right. So well, my as mo- like all like immigrant, immigrant mothers, two second generation kids. Yeah. yeah. They are the worst. Love them to death, right? They push you to succeed, but they're horrible. They don't make the transition to a new country easy at all right so my mom was just super paranoid that we would just be murdered every time we stepped out of the house then why did she move you to (laughs) the land of opportunity (laughs) where you can never leave the house so uh, my schedule was school home school home school home that's it i swear to god that's all i did for the first five years i lived here even in high school she'd be like you better be home before the street lights come on i'm like mine winter time that's like 4 30 stop playing oh my god yeah so did you have like hobbies or was it just like Hobbies. What did I do? Um, honestly, sitting inside, <laughs> sitting inside, watching TV, and I used to read a lot. Yeah, I think that's where the whole writing thing started. So my mom has a twin sister, identical twin. They're both equally crazy, but I love both you guys. If you ever hear this, <laughs> well, that's genetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ju- like they pass it down a little to me too. Yeah, but so my mom is a nurse, and her twin was a teacher, one of the most notorious, terrifying teachers in Grenada. Wow. Oh, shouts to her. Yeah. yeah, shout out to her, Auntie Yvonne. Um, <laughs> so she was super strict. Like I would have to when I was younger stay up all night i could fall asleep on my homework and stay there until eight in the morning she didn't care like i needed to finish it and she gave me a ton of books so when i moved to the states i think i was just like reading and reading a ton and that's all i could really do did you rebel at all 
I mean, talk about it. Talk about it. <laughs> You're like, I did stay out until the uh, streetlights came That's on. Right. So yeah, One that was time. Yeah. Then she beat my ass, and I never did it again. No, honestly, the crazy thing is, I was such a nice, sweet person. Not that I'm a bad what person, happened, yeah. yeah. But Brooklyn will fuck you up. It will corrupt you eventually. Yeah. But I was like a super shy kid. I was scared of adults till I was probably at least 21. Mm-hmm. Again, Caribbean life, super strict. It's yeah. like you can't say anything remotely disrespectful. You can't look at someone the wrong way you're about to catch a beating so i was like the shyest tamest calmest kid ever and i feel like i didn't really start to rebel until high school so once you get into high school and you're starting to rebel a little bit start, you're starting to put words in my mouth right yeah. now okay <laughs> fine no but like what was high school like for you hmm. so i went to brooklyn tech um which is a monstrosity of a school why <laughs> Shout out to tech. I, I like people who come from like Cali and stuff and they go to these really nice, chill, like high schools that are spread out and you can hang out. Brooklyn Tech was like a fortress. Again, no disrespect. I made a lot of great friends. Have you ever seen Brooklyn Tech? It's in so. downtown, right? It's downtown. Yeah. It's like near to Junior's Cheesecake. It's oh, yeah. massive. Yeah. It's about 13 stories high. It takes up an entire city block. My graduating class, I think at minimum was like a thousand kids. Oh. It's what was, huge. Yeah, what was graduation day like? Just like chaos, waiting forever? Yeah. Just <laughs> chaos, like waiting to get it over with. I mean, high school was, again, like just a little bit scary. So my junior high school was still pretty small. So stepping into such a massive school was crazy. But like, it was a cool experience. Just all different kinds of kids. You know what I mean? Like, um, made friends with the Russians or a lot of Italians from Brooklyn, a lot of like Asian people who grew up. And so Brooklyn Tech was really funny because when you stepped into the lunchroom, it was very segregated. Like people sat at tables based on their race and then the football so team was like would prison sit. rules. Exactly, but <laughs> yeah. only in the lunchroom. Like yeah. in the hallways and in classes, we were all still cool and very mixed up. Yeah. But like in the lunchroom, it was weird. So I don't know. I kind of just bounced between uh, groups. I did a lot of random things. I was in like the Straight and Gay Alliance. So I was like volunteering at the Pride Parade. I played soccer for two years. I was terrible, but I loved talking <laughs> shit <laughs> and fake getting into fights with other schools. So yeah, I started going to like, uh, this is when like, clubs in new york were still like kind of cool so my russian friends would go out and party for 12 hours straight and i was trying to figure out what techno and dance music was <laughs> i was just all over the place like trying to get to know everyone and like bouncing around in a lot of different circles. Uh, being in clubs did that uh keep you later than the sun would set and then you'd have to go home <laughs> or were they like, those afternoon clubs yeah. um yeah. guys hello i was at sleepovers all the time uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mom, I'm sleeping over at Andre's house. It was always a sleepover, and it was a lie every time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm really sorry. Um, So getting to the end... Well, first of all, did you get your driver's license? No. Okay, so all I'll say is immigration is a bitch. Um, getting a green card, I don't know if anything will be as difficult as that journey. Yeah. So like at the point where everyone else was getting driver's license and all that stuff, I still couldn't do that. And... I am now an American citizen. Congratulations. Thank you, but I don't have a license. You can judge me. It's cool. <laughs> when did you get your um, citizenship? Last year. That's awesome. So, okay. Yeah. So, one of our best friends, Shinsuke, uh, is now... He's he's an American citizen, but he's a dual citizen. Is that right? Yeah. Japanese and American, nice. right? Nice. So, he just got his American citizenship two days ago. Yeah, a couple days ago, right? And he thought and the we process... we were like, why would you want to at well, this point? You know, yeah. <laughs> He thought the process was going to take about six to eight months, and it was very backed up, and it ended up being like, oh, they're like, uh, he, he passed, passed all the tests, tests, yeah. And then two days later, they were it. like, yeah, you know, you want to go to the ceremony? He was yeah, like, yes. Yeah, it's getting the green card that's the hard thing, but once you have the green card and you live here for long enough and you apply for citizenship, that goes surprisingly fast. Yeah. Which is what I learned. Guys, being American, 
I know we have Trump, we have a lot of problems. It's so luxurious. If you could travel with the Grenadian passport, you would be so much more grateful to be American. No one has ever heard of this country when I travel. Mm. So if I'm in Europe, they're always like, where is this in Africa? I don't know, you're definitely a second class citizen. Even when mm. I would travel with my coworkers, mm -hmm. even going to Canada or something for OVO or whatever we would cover, everyone gets through the airport, I get detained, they're questioning me. I remember coming back from Amsterdam, being like full body searched, and it's horrible, well, it's horrible. How much weed did you bring back from Amsterdam? No weed, I never travel with weed. I'm such a decent citizen, that's the crazy thing. So, no man, having the passport is amazing. I can travel without worrying about visas all the time. And um, to be honest, I cried at the ceremony, which is really yeah. embarrassing well, to no. say. No, that's, no. You know what, like, I, I think there's something to, to that, and I think there's something to like, being able to voice your opinion and vote you know sit on a panel of your peers and actually like be part of a jury and i think like all these things do matter in a what should be a perfect society but yeah. obviously like has its flaws but I do, I do think that crying is totally understandable yeah i yeah. think when you're born with it you take it for granted but when you realize the struggle that you have to go through just to get it so on um the day of the ceremony where you get sworn in so you go to the courtroom me and a bunch of other immigrants super happy that we're finally American <laughs> and I was thinking cool man this has been like a 10 year struggle I've been covering the election all year I'm gonna finally be able to vote just give me this thing let me get it over with and then the judge comes out and she's Russian so she talked about when my grandparents came here they never thought that their grandkid would end up whatever she's like don't forget your culture keep your roots but basically she was giving the speech and I just started crying but it was like the embarrassing kind of tears where I was trying to pretend I wasn't <laughs> oh like was, an ugly cry yeah, yeah, it was, yeah it was a pretty ugly cry I was like alright I guess I felt more emotional about this than I realized yeah. <laughs> but it's nice what were your plans post high school post high school so in my high school we had majors for no good reason well Brooklyn Tech yeah <laughs> so I picked media the slacker major but I did end up in media so it's all good yeah. by the way I do like too how like your mom and your aunt are you know such like you know um, intense forces in my life well no no no, no, no. like a, a teacher and a nurse yeah. it's just like those are such noble professions and mm -hmm. it's like you know like we know it explaining it to our, like our extended family it's just like what you know what is this life you know yeah. and, and you were like I want to get into that yeah and I okay so in my in my elementary school yearbook what did I write like a marine biologist something ridiculous and then I realized I can't even swim what am I talking about I heard you want to be an astronaut okay that too yeah. <laughs> I haven't taken that dream off the map um, yeah no it's not too late no, I don't think I'm in any sort of good physical. <laughs> I hate eating well. I hate working out. I suck at sleeping. And I realize how much of all those things I need. I'm terrible at math and science. So my dream, I just want to smoke it's a blunt on the moon. That's yeah. it. Your dream is for NASA to lower their standards. Exactly. Yeah. Or Elon Musk to finally get this moving. Elon, let me get on one of those rockets, please. Um, okay, sorry. Uh, what was the question? No, so like at the end of high school, like, uh, oh, so you had a major. At the end of high school, so yeah, I took media. I didn't really pay attention the whole time. I graduated, <laughs> and then I was trying to figure out what to do. I really wanted to go away from school. I wanted to get away from my mom, mm -hmm. like have that experience, but we were broke. We had no money, so I went to Hunter for the first year, right. and actually really liked it. So I took a lot of classes, more English. Um, I took um, some sort of like bio. Oh, some genetics classes, and I was like, cool, I'm so going to be a writer yeah. Yeah. or a geneticist. Is that even the word? <laughs> yeah. And again, I'm terrible at science. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Um, How quickly did that dream die? Yeah, I was like, I'm over this. <laughs> I'm on to like, I seem to be better at writing. Um, and then I transferred to Binghamton my next year. Right. What did you know about Binghamton in upstate New York? Nothing. I was like, I need to get out of New York. I can only afford state school. <laughs> right. It's Stony Brook. where So Hunter, basically half of my graduating class I felt from Brooklyn Tech was at Hunter. Yeah. I got tired of seeing the same people. The other half went to Stony Brook. Right. I was like, I guess I'm going to Binghamton. <laughs> um, and did I re- you look at any other SUNY schools? No. I don't even think I did. Did I even visit? I might have visited one time. Wow. I didn't do college the right way. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> going to tour. But again, my mom's not that person. She was never going to say, let's go visit colleges. And what are you interested in? She's like, you're going to Hunter. It's the cheapest option. That was well, really it. How, what was that conversation like telling your mother that you were going to go to school, you know, four hours north? Yeah, it was a lot of me begging and crying and having to justify why I would want to go to school. And she had just gotten uh, married at the time. So I managed to convince my stepdad, <laughs> went through the back door there. Yeah. And then we both sort of convinced her. Um, and I think eventually she was cool with it. And then as soon as I got to Binghamton, I was like, Mom, I want to come home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was culture shock. It was so crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, what was Binghamton like? Man, so going to Brooklyn Tech so mixed up right Right. everyone and even my friends who were jewish it's not we never talked about our backgrounds so much our religion we were just kids having fun and when i got to binghamton uh there were separated communities so there was one dorm where there are a lot of like the stoner kids from the city i was like perfect that's where i belong (laughs) uh they didn't put me in but instead i went to a dorm (laughs) where it was predominantly kids from uh long island and westchester it was Mm -hmm. a lot of greek life i just felt like i didn't fit in but eventually i got more comfortable and i made a lot of friends and i learned a lot about being jewish oh (laughs) by the way at every school you'll find that everybody's from long island like no matter where you go they're all Everybody's from Long Island. Right. I wish Syracuse, you told me that Boston before University, I went you know. there. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize. It's horrible. I, I never really <laughs> met people from Long Island before I got to Binghamton. And now you can't get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you guys are everywhere. What were your roommates like? It was That's just cool. people who were completely opposite of me, so it opened up a whole new world. And so they still text me to this day. So after the Migos thing happened yeah. on the BT Awards red carpet, one of my friends from college texts me like, She's like, I feel like the gentleman who was left <laughs> off bad about a bouja, question mark, question mark, question mark, needs some help enunciating. So like, yeah, so Binghamton to me was a, a, a world completely outside of Binghamton, a whole new set of people. And in the end, it was a learning experience. Sure. But again, I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. What, what, what artists came up and played Binghamton? Uh, I saw Luda you at did. Binghamton once. You yeah. know what, though? A lot of hits. <laughs> a lot of people hits. give him a lot of shit now. Like, but when you're in it, like... A lot of hits. It was great. I had yeah. a good time. I yeah. was writing for the school newspaper at that time, so I think I actually had to write about the show. What was the school newspaper called? Pipe Dream. Pipe Dream. Really sexy, I know. <laughs> no, that just sounds like what Nadesco was doing like in her free time. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. No, yeah, going to NASA is a pipe dream. <laughs> exactly. I was writing the craziest things. I was doing restaurant reviews in Binghamton. There's like 10 restaurants. No. Again, no offense to anyone in Binghamton. It's a very small town. Okay, so I wrote for the paper too, right? Part of, I think, writing for your college newspaper, and I wrote, like, movie reviews for a while, too, but we wanted to extend that, was to, like, sort of game the system, and it's just like, yeah, I want to review, like, restaurants. Let me go eat for free, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would get, like, free shoes sent to me. Yeah, I, was the, I, I was the editor of the entertainment section. Meanwhile, I was getting, like, free shoes, whatever. Yeah, like, what did you nice. do with Judah Friedlander? We played um, a bunch of board games on the floor <laughs> of his hotel, <laughs> and so I got a bunch of board, board games, games yeah. for free. I got a Furby for free. Oh, there you Okay, go. you did better than me. I, yeah. uh, I got, like, a few decent meals, but no shoes. Oh, I had all the no DVDs. Wait, I had all the CDs. Did you go in there and tell them that you were the reviewer? 
Or did you like play it like sort of like you know the big time reviewers do, where they like, they keep their identities hidden? They're all super and sketchy. You, you wear like and a mask or something. I, yeah. Later. I, yeah, I just want to eat like a meal like every other regular person, right? Yeah, I think I had to go in and pretend to be a regular human, oh. and they got so much publicity in the local college paper. <laughs> I'm sure it was a big deal for them. Fine eating in in Binghamton. Yeah, I mean, look, I needed. Once I got there, I realized that maybe staying at Hunter would have made sense because I wanted to work in media and New York is the center of media. So yeah. I get to the middle of nowhere upstate. I'm like, oh, <laughs> fuck, what am I doing here? So I interned for the school paper and then for the local city paper, the Press and Sun Bulletin, which was, again, just one of those experiences. Uh, my first day on the job, I had to write an obituary. They're like, this woman <laughs> passed away. Can you call up her family and get some words? Oh, and my I, God. It was so horrifying because it was a big, wide open room. There's no space. There's no phone call room. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, hi, I'm sorry about your grandma, <laughs> but it was just, it was just horrible, horrible experiences. But hey, look, um, I got some good stuff. I think I got you a it. front page, <laughs> you like killed byline the obituary one time. Gig. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were some of your clips? Um, so besides the obituary, what else did I write about? A lot of random things in town. And then it was around the time the Virginia Tech. Mm. thing happened the unfortunately yeah. yeah and so then uh they let me from my perspective as a college student write how they thought binghamton would respond in a situation like that and what it felt like so that was one of the more serious stories i got to do yeah there. and so two years of binghamton so one at hunter three years at binghamton. Oh, three at binghamton yeah any other like fun things that you did up there or was it just sort of like ludicrous and <laughs> obituaries <laughs> past the time yeah. Yeah, yeah so i didn't have a car in binghamton which in the city, it's cool with your Metro card. Yeah. Right. But it was just embarrassing. I was a weird girl who took the bus or else I had to get rides. So the way the campus was set up, there's a big highway right outside of the campus. And the Press and Sun Bulletin, that newspaper, was right across the street. So it was weird enough that I was crossing the highway to go <laughs> to the internship. People would just look at me and laugh anyway. Uh-huh. And I remember one day it's snowing so hard. Like, I could barely walk through the snow. And I get to the edge of the highway. I was like, wow, there's no way I can actually cross the street. So I was standing on the (laughs) the edge of the highway, flagging people down. And finally, a woman stopped. And I was like, miss, can you please drive me across the street to my intern? (laughs) Binghamton was just a series of, like, low personal moments. Oh, my God. uh, It was cool, man. I made a lot of good friends. Yeah. Like... Life and also happens. a bunch of weird friends. Like. <laughs> <laughs> bad, bad, a bad yeah. Did you have any professors that like really left a, a mark with you? No. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Wait. Okay. Hold on. Let me think about this before. I want your I, mom to listen to this podcast know, yeah. and just be like, "No, mom, no, never." You, mo- mom was right. You shouldn't have gone. <laughs> my mom doesn't see any of my work, but she did text my sister the other day. So I did. Uh, you know, Sean Evans has um, hot ones. Yeah. yeah. So he did a spicy chip challenge with me and emily oberg now my i've been doing this for a long time my mom has really never seen any of my videos unless i send it to her and still she probably wouldn't watch it <laughs> somehow i guess one of my cousins Tough was like love. i saw pinky um <clears throat> they call me pinky in grenada okay mm-hmm. we're, we're gonna get back to this <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. she's like uh, i saw pinky on youtube so she goes on youtube to try to find me and somehow of all the videos that pop up it's the spicy chip challenge. And at one point, I eat the chip. I'm like, oh, man, that hit me like right where when I'm smoking, you know, it hits you. And then oh, it's like no. spicy food's harder. So she's learning a lot about you. Oh, yeah. So then she texts my sister. She still hasn't mentioned it to me. She texts my sister. <laughs> I just found Pinky on the national YouTube talking about smoking weed. <laughs> and this was like two months ago. She's embarrassed, but um, oh, no. she's probably never going to say it to my face, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I have that. I have that screenshot. I'm gonna save it for life. Though. Wow! Yes. The national YouTube. The guys. national I mean, YouTube. Well, congratulations on making it there. That's Thank a you. very big deal. It's yeah. been a long journey, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Can't believe I made What's it. What's your first move out of college? 
so while I was in college during the summer, I was doing a lot of internships, um, random things because it was super hard. Like I couldn't get like a vibe internship or the places that I wanted, even a complex. So did I've, they respond to your emails or was no. it? Oh, no. Ghost. You know how yeah. it is. Yeah. They yeah. Don't, they don't Were your anything. emails like good or was it just like, I yo, give of, me a job? No. So that's the thing. I took a <laughs> lot of time to write really good cover letters, but I'm sure if I look back now, I would cringe anyway. I was yeah. just so eager and I wanted the opportunity so bad. Yeah. So I did things like Teen Vogue and Red Book. I was just really trying to get Red in Book? the door. Yeah. yeah, that's a very mature. So random. It was so <laughs> random. I was writing like beauty clips and like doing things that made no sense for my career now. But I just needed to do something, you know, get some things on my resume. Yeah. Did so, you read any of these magazines? Um, Teen Vogue, definitely. You weren't reading Red Book with. <laughs> okay, listen. I see you judging me. They can't see you, but I see your judgy eyes right now. Right. Yeah. Hey, look, I'm. <laughs> the people at Red Book were really good to me, man. I met a lot of great people. So although it wasn't for me, I still learned to be diligent. Yeah. yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. You were living at home. Yes. And and would you work at any publication specifically, or were you like freelancing for each of these? Yeah, it was just free interning and i was working for cash on the side Whoa. to try to survive you know? oh I, th- I thought like red book would pay like cash oh like, no no just, like, no interns get words? paid <laughs> now but now it's not it was just like writing and building up my clips so i did that on and off for the summers so when i graduated from college um that was the year the economy tanked i believe it yeah. was like i remember so 2009 yeah around there i remember going back to my internships to say goodbye give my thank you cards and hearst had just laid off I feel like it was like everybody. 40, yeah, it yeah. was a lot. That was horrifying. So I went in. People were packing boxes and crying, and I was like, "Oh fuck, I'm never getting a job. I graduated at the wrong time." So that was a rough time. So for a while, I was literally just like working odd jobs for cash. Um, like any, what? Any fun ones? Nothing fun. Oh yeah, there was <laughs> there was a company. I wonder if they're still. It's called So New Beverages, and it was basically flavored water. I don't even know if there were electrolytes. It was definitely flavored water. <laughs> so there was that summer. When did the Carter Three drop? What year was that? Uh, two thousand and three. Uh, eight. Right. I remember yeah. listening to that album on repeat. So it was sometime in that time, and we were just selling these bottles of water. So we would drive to like costco or whatever in jersey deep in long island and we would set up a booth me and two of my friends and just stand there and try to like <laughs> sell this beverage to random people like no. hey sir you're a soccer coach this is going to be great for the kids there's no calories it's all water it's a hundred percent it was so embarrassing so when we did it together at least we were embarrassed as a group right yeah. sure but then they would call me on the weekends for one off so i would be in on like 34th street and fifth avenue in a deli i would be the girl standing next to the bottle of water with a tray of those little disposable <laughs> yeah, yeah. cups just trying to sell water so thanks for bringing up that memory um, listen by the way the best way to sell those is that you stand on the side of a highway and then you flag a car down <laughs> yeah. and you ask right. to be did you ever yeah. run into anybody or did anyone ever run into you who knew you? Just High friends? school or, yeah. yeah. No, thank Neighbors, God. Like. <laughs> thank God. It was such an embarrassing job. We Look, we made really good money, to be honest, for yeah. like mm-hmm. three broke kids just struggling to like find a job in like a shitty economy. Yeah. But it was horrible. But yeah, the Carter Three, man. I, I feel like we listened to that album every single day just to get us through it. So yeah, this is when I realized that like it was going to be really hard to get a media job. Companies were going through a rough time. So man, my dates are like getting mixed up. There was a point when I was interning for Black Book. Maybe that was 2009-ish. 
So most of my interning was just transcribing interviews. Do you guys know Foster Kamer? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Foster That's why was I know one you. of my first right. So yeah. Foster was one of my first bosses and he comes into the story at Complex way later. Yes. Um and so Black Book was cool, but like it wasn't really my thing. So they were covering a lot of nightlife, a lot of like alternative rock, just not my kind of music. I wanted to cover rap. Right. So it was terrible, but then I found my move there because they didn't care about rap and they were starting to build up the website they really let me cover whatever i want in terms of rap i would pitch them an an artist and they'd be like sure go ahead do it (laughs) so at that time it was good for me it was all the people that i kind of my generation of rappers i'd say so like wale kid cuddy big sean uh j cole all of those dudes before they dropped their first albums right i got to do interviews for a black book. That's amazing. Which was really cool. So I was doing that and at the same time I got a freelancing gig at AOL Music, the Boombox, yeah. Yeah, back yeah. in the day. So I was blogging full time for the Boombox. So I was doing maybe four stories a day, doing my black book internship. I traveled a little, I went to Southeast Asia for three months. Wow. So I'd be like waking up on a beach in Thailand, like fifty cent just said blah 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 blah. <laughs> I'd like blog and then go back to like swimming or something. Wow. So that was kind of a nice time yeah so it didn't matter when your four stories would go up apparently like they could be like in the middle of the I would, night yeah because- <laughs> i would because i forgot the time difference it was so crazy so i would try to do it wherever i was so it would be ready for like first thing in the morning if it happened overnight in yeah. new york so that was really nice and um yeah so i kept doing that for a bit and eventually black book offered me a full-time position and i was like thank you jesus i yeah. thought i'd be an intern for the rest <laughs> of my life it finally happened and when i started at black book i kept uh, freelancing for AOL for a little bit so I had a lot going on what were those first interviews with those you know that generation of rappers like it's what's co- what's a what's a ascendant you know quiet Wale like so the Wale story it's so crazy I remember this moment I hope this is all okay to say on here he was still working with Mark Ronson at the time mm-hmm. um, and I was with a friend who was such a big fan so I brought him with me I brought a blunt. Is that okay to say here? Sure. Um, Listen, if your mom's listening, maybe not. (laughs) She's never going to hear this. So we went to the studio and kicked it and smoked and just like talked. And he was like super honest, both on and off the record. The interview went cool. Then he told us a lot of stuff, just how he was feeling like as a brand new artist. He had just had the single out with Gaga, just telling Mm -hmm. us how he felt about his career. And that was one of the coolest things. Like it was such a different time. I remember leaving the studio j cole was coming in to do something with him so this was before these guys were huge their guards were down and you could just sort of kick it and yeah like, yeah that to me as a fan was just the coolest thing ever you know yeah. what I mean? i idolized these guys at the time i was like you're the music i actually listen to all day every day so to meet you now i'm a little bit more jaded after <laughs> doing it for a long time sure but it was cool it was just like a very laid back even kid cuddy like how hard is it to get a kid cuddy interview right now yeah i mean you have to be joe puma exactly <laughs> right? it's, it's almost impossible but at that time there were no problems. We got on the phone. We talked. He was in a great mood. We joked around. It was. It feels like it almost didn't happen. I even yeah. interviewed Frank Ocean once when I was um, at Black Book. He was super shy, as always. Right. Yeah. Um, the first phone call went pretty bad because he felt... You could feel that he was nervous. And I think I remember saying, like, look, Frank, I'm such a big fan of you. I want this interview to turn out to be great. Do you want to try again tomorrow? And we did try again the next That's day. That's awesome. That can never happen in 2017. <laughs> that can yeah, no. never happen. So, no, I was, I was fortunate. All of these dudes Actually, you know I was, what? I sort of want you to try it, though. Yeah, it, right? When you interview Frank Goshen next, be like, hey, don't worry about this one. Let's try Call again. Call it a mulligan. 
We'll do it again tomorrow. We know the chances of getting a Frank Ocean interview are, <laughs> are slim, zero. Are slim to none. So I'm yeah. glad I did it when I had the chance. Yeah. And I was just truly such a fan. Were there any artists that you believed in back then that you thought would make it and just didn't um, hit all the way? No, actually opposite. I think Asher Roth was one of the first interviews I did. And that's when he was really having a moment. Right. right and right. I thought he might stick around, but he didn't. But it's actually kind of opposite. I remember at the time trying to tell them, I was like, there are these rappers, Kendrick Lamar, Nicki Minaj, I think you should really try to get them for the cover. I think they're <laughs> going to be big. No one wanted to hear anything <laughs> anything that I had to say. Foster Kamer. Yeah. <laughs> Foster, this is not your fault. Yeah. I, know I know it's not your fault. Hey guys, we just wanted to interrupt for just one second to remind all you motherfuckers who fast-forwarded through the intro that this Wednesday at Highline Ballroom here in New York City, we are putting on the greatest live podcast ever celebrating Rockefeller Records with who, Jeff? We got Biggs, we got Shaka Pilgrim, Emery Jones, Freeway, Kiambo Hip Hop Joshua, Just Blaze, Lenny S, and Young Guru, and us. We've somehow got them all on one stage for this one night talking every story from Jay-Z to Kanye to Old Dirty Bastard to State Property to Foxy Brown to Diplomats to everybody else ever on Rockefeller Records. You want to talk Tierra Marie? The time Tony Braxton beefed with Kanye and Jay-Z, we're going to talk about it. At the Highline Ballroom, July 26th, tickets are on sale at itstherial.com. Make sure to buy your tickets today. And if you haven't gotten your tickets yet... And now, back to Nadeska Alexis. Yeah, so I was at Black Book for about a year. I was doing the boombox that trailed off a little. I was doing record label. I don't know if you guys remember that site. Uh, it was like you had to... Was that RCRD? Exactly. Yeah. Oh. yeah, you had to... You could go download the, the uh, songs directly from the site. So I'd mm. have to hit up the labels and get permission. So that was another chapter. But after Black Book... Um, Someone that I met, I ran into someone randomly from high school. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, do you know this person, uh, Stephen Roberts? Hi, Stephen, if you hear this. Oh, from MTV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He had done an internship there. He had started working and he knew they were looking for people. So he just recommend, recommended me to go in for an interview. So I went into the interview. I was terrified. They were looking for an editor for their blog, Rap Fix. It was mm-hmm. rapfix.mtv at the time. And I was terrified. I was like, I'm no editor. <laughs> I just learned how to like blog quickly. I'd done magazine writing. But anyway, I had all those clips. I'd been blogging every day for two years at that point. I had all these interviews to show them. And I got the job and I couldn't believe it. But in that moment, like going for the interview and even getting the job, I was such a TRL kid. Like I was one of those losers camped outside <laughs> trying to see rappers, trying to see sync when they came through. So oh, you he, really did it. I, actually, no, no kidding. I would be outside. Like I was definitely outside when sync came. Don't judge me. I had well-rounded taste as a child. Yeah. No, listen, I'm I'm more concerned for your mother for thinking that you're. <laughs> <laughs> I was at sleepovers. Look, yeah. the street lights were not on. <laughs> So it was totally Did you fun. make a sign? Did I? No, I didn't make a sign. Did any of the hosts come out and say hey or anything? Hell no. Oh. There's no way. I, I spent my whole life trying to figure out how do people get into the building? How do you get <laughs> I behind the, the glass? You did? Yeah, I did the, the Harlem show? Shake on uh, TRL once. Oh my God, you're yeah. a legend. <laughs> yeah. I'm so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was never going to. So the first time I walked into that building was for my interview and that was a surreal moment for yeah. me. Yeah. So you go and you get the job. I do get the job. Who did you, inter- did you have to interview with? Like- Ramon Dukes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So part of the legend 
legendary 1515 crew. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, love him. I feel like that was the end of an era at MTV in terms of hip-hop, and I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of it before. Now they don't have a website Yeah, anymore. so Rap Fix folded into maybe a year or two while I was there. It folded into MTVnews.com, and mm-hmm. we just focused on that. Things changed a lot while I was there. So, yeah, Ramon is the one who hired me. And, of course, my first week or two on the job, I met Sway. Um, yeah. One of the nicest guys in you guys. You guys know a lot of people in the industry. Most of them are shitty. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. we've had all of them up here. <laughs> <laughs> not the ones who've been on your podcast, <laughs> but man, people in this industry—they're not like the nicest, most loyal kind of people. I usually don't really associate. I just hang out with my best friends. But Sway is one of the most genuine and most supportive people I've ever met. And um, a great father, by the way. Great dad. Yeah. His daughter is amazing too. She's so funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, early at MTV, Sway was like, hey, you should consider doing some stuff on camera, doing some interviews. And I was like, no way, Sway, not never, not happening. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, are you still at this point like that shy girl or do you feel? I've broken out of it now just because I've had so much experience, but you'll still, you won't really see me on like Insta story or Snapchat yeah. a lot. You know how people like to share videos and stuff like that? Yeah. I do it for work, but like it's really rare that you're going to like just catch me posting a video. You're never going to be the one that's like subscribe below, like that sort of thing. No. And I, I need to. I think it's good. And I think it's one of the things I'm the worst at in my career is just promotion. I feel like I've maybe put in the work and I don't promote or market myself as much as I should. I'm kind of a hermit. If I'm not working, I'm trying to be off an adventure or I'm on my couch watching TV. And I think that has not helped me. While you're there, where what are some of the assignments that they send you to? At MTV? Mm-hmm. Um, MTV really trained me, to be honest, in all things video. I, ha- I didn't know anything about video at all. So while I was there, it was managing the blog so managing a team of freelance writers and making sure the content was up and that's the kind of stuff that gives you nightmares and i think that's when i started to become (laughs) i won't say jaded is the word but you know when i was telling you about being younger and loving like a wale and frank ocean and just loving the music when you work in that news cycle it really takes some of the joy out because when you hear kanye's dropping an album young me is so excited i'm sitting at the computer all night i can't wait to hear it uh me working at rap fix i was like fuck there goes my weekend (laughs) yeah (laughs) i gotta figure out 10 different angles to cover this so that got to be a little overwhelming but yeah i did a ton of interviews i got to do more things with like all some of the people i mentioned before you know people i've loved j cole i got to do cuddy so that was the next step of doing those on camera Mm -hmm. um I went to Ferguson while I was at MTV some, for some coverage, but I guess the biggest thing for me was working on Rap Fix Live and Hottest MCs. Yeah, like putting together those lists. Was that just like traumatizing? Yeah. Did, did okay, the internet did, did the internet hate you? Did, um, <laughs> that would be an understatement. That was my first exposure to just like the monster that is social media because at the time i was also running the rap fix twitter account so it was like mtv's like twitter account and hip-hop account and we put out the list the first year i went into it so naive not knowing what the backlash would be there were death threats people were threatening to come up and blow up the office to kill me personally it was really intense so i think it was either that first year or the second time I did it. I remember specifically, like, cool, we recorded this, we're going to drop it, and I disappeared to London. I didn't want to be on Twitter. I didn't want to be in New York. I was just terrified yeah. of the, the reaction. But then it got more fun. Uh, the <laughs> year when uh, Kanye started the rant about giving Sway his first TV. So I remember <laughs> that was my favorite Hottest MCs moment because I was so adamant. I was like, no, Kanye is not higher than Sean on this list. Kanye, I love you, but you've been all Kardashian'd out. Music hasn't <laughs> been your focus. And I feel like I swayed and I convinced some people. 
then I took a nap and woke up and heard the the radio ran like I give Sway his first TV so that to me that has to be one of my biggest accomplishments at MTV for sure pissing off Kanye to and, break the gag order and, and you were also there when Sway actually brought out his TV yeah, yeah. on yeah. Rap Fix I can't believe he still had that at home he brought it on Rap Fix the next day like that Did was a work? really fun I don't know we didn't actually plug it in and try it but it was the actual TV it was the actual right. TV Sway is a hoarder yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put in your time at MTV now you are tenured and you're feeling I'm sure comfortable there when did you decide to leave MTV I don't so much decide as it happened kind of if that makes sense so let me think and it was definitely a big transition at the point I left MTV so uh you know Ramon had already left Sway was doing a little bit less work with MTV um they had just hired kind of new management for the news department it was like a weird and not great time um and at the same time Noah from uh Complex had reached out to me maybe so I started at Complex January 2016 he had Mm. maybe reached out to me may april may of 2015 wow you know just so it was like a, a long courtship yeah and it was like an off and on thing and i think my boss now cornell brown shout out to him he's the one who founded complex news the youtube channel and everything he tells me that i guess he had been interested in hiring me for complex as an anchor for a while but didn't think i would leave mtv uh so that first meeting with noah was just hey I'll tell you a little bit about what we're doing at Complex. You tell me what you're doing at MTV News. And it didn't really go further than that. We said we would check in, and I didn't ever think I would hear back. Um, But he did reach out again, and then I ended up meeting up with my boss and some other people. So we had a couple meetings, and then eventually they asked me to audition, and I was nervous because I'd never auditioned for anything. (laughs) I'd been been a writer who happened to start doing stuff on camera. So I was like, oh, my God, an audition. What's this going to be? And it was just interviewing Noah on camera. So, I don't know, sucked it up, went in there, did it, and uh, it worked out. How did you prep for interviewing your boss? Yeah, it was weird. (laughs) To be honest, I had grown up collecting complex. I had collected the magazines out of college. I'd applied there. I wanted to be an editorial assistant. They didn't want to fuck with me at the time. But, you know, (laughs) things work out the way they're supposed to be. So, I'd actually known Noah. And remember when he dropped the Kanye cover story when he went to Hawaii? Yeah, sure. That, to me, was just legendary. I remember, like, sitting on the floor at Barnes & Noble's and reading this and being like, how is this real life? Could I ever grow up to be a journalist who could do something this cool? So I personally had a lot of questions for him yeah. just from following his career uh, over the years. So just really asked him everything I uh, wanted to ask. And um, yeah, nothing else. I stood outside the building for five minutes, took some deep breaths, and I was like, go in there and don't fuck this up. That's really, that's really <laughs> all the best advice. you can yeah. do yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know? <laughs> just do your research, be genuinely excited, and try not to fuck it up. Did you do the same thing for today's interview? That's right. No, I came here to fuck this yeah. up. <laughs> I hope I hope I'm wrecking it so far. If you go speak at like a high school graduation, you should definitely like give them that advice. Yeah. Kids, don't fuck it <laughs> up. So you get the job and you take the job. Yeah, it was a hard decision for me only because I'd been at MTV for four years. Yeah. That was the longest I'd worked anywhere. It was family and a big change like that is always just a little bit scary, even though I had wanted to work at Complex early in my career. So this was around um, Thanksgiving and I remember spending that Thanksgiving on my couch alone. I didn't see anyone. I didn't. I, it was just such a big decision and I was just nervous. Like, is this the right move for me? Should I stay at MTV? Have I grown out of my time here? Is it time for the next step? Um yeah, and I. In hindsight, does it feel like a big move? Like, yeah. do, do you think that it, it that that it warranted such like a angst? Yeah, that hunkering down and. 
it was a big move. It was definitely the right move. Right. At yeah. the time, I guess if that answers your question, I couldn't see so clearly that it was the right move. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I probably shouldn't have been that stressed about it. There were some people in my life who were like, this is a no-brainer. They're the center of pop culture and everything that you like. Just go there. But it wasn't so easy for me to make the decision. Yeah. Who were some of the people that were working at Complex at the time that you started there? Uh, I'm trying to think. I feel like it's the people who are sort of there now. So, so Jenks? Jenks, definitely. Uh, Emily, Sean. Um, and Foster Speedy, was there. And Foster had already left. Oh, he had left. Actually. So a few months before I started, they had a screening for a doc. And I went and Foster was there and we actually caught up. So he was working with the anchors before. And this is when this industry just comes full circle. I was his intern so many years back. He had this job working with the anchors. He had just left. And when I started, so it was my job. I was an anchor. I managed all the other anchors like Jinx, Emily, Sean, um, and then all of the editorial content for all of Complex News uh, YouTube channel. So it was so crazy catching up with him yeah. before. He downloaded me on everything that had happened before since he'd really, he was there for the beginning of the news video operation. So that was an interesting moment. And now he's killing it over at uh, Mashable. Yeah. Yeah. So you get started over there. How different is Complex News than MTV News? Almost nothing in common. Almost nothing in common. <laughs> well, there's no sway. There's no sway. <laughs> but w- like there's in terms of like editorial control or? Um. So it was night and day. Viacom very much. It had a lot more structure at Viacom and MTV News, but because it's such a big corporation, it's been around for so long. So there was more structure, but on the flip side, it was there was a lot more red tape. It was hard to push ideas through. So if I had a really good idea, something I thought was a no-brainer, like a feature with an artist who was killing it at the moment, I still had to explain to a few different people why this would make sense, and then we'd have to go through our music and talent department. So executing an idea at MTV just took a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, a complex man you could it was the opposite everything moved really slowly at mtv if we did three videos a month at the point when i left a complex they're like yeah we're doing 15 videos a day <laughs> and you know my boss cornell like they oversee but they don't really stand in our way so yeah. if i think something is a good idea as long as it's factual it's not offensive or anything like that there's no one telling you no Mm-hmm. So in terms of creative freedom, there's a lot more of that at Complex. But the culture was just completely, completely different. A lot younger. A lot younger. Yeah. A lot less rules. It took a long time getting adjusted. Sometimes at MTV, I would just be <laughs> scared. You'd be scared to make the, the wrong move every once in a while. But um, no, they really, really trained me a lot. And I'm like grateful for all of the experiences I had while I was there. And then, probably... Oh, maybe a month before Everyday Struggle started, mm-hmm. um, we saw a press release that went out uh, uh, announcing that you guys were going to be doing the show. Mm-hmm. And am I correct that Noah was supposed to be an on-camera talent part of it? Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been four of you guys. No. No. It would have been uh, Joe Academics and Noah. Oh, you weren't the initial host. Yeah. I, it's. Um, I kind of. It came down to the last minute. Um, and yeah, I think originally it was going to be maybe him or we both kind of tried out for the role, sort of, but it wasn't uh, decided who was actually going to do it. Maybe we would rotate. It really was up in the air. It wasn't cemented till I think maybe a couple of days before the show actually went live. What well, were when you interviewed him on camera, <laughs> did he do a good job <laughs> or did he fuck it up? He did. He did. And maybe some of my questions, you know, I should ask to see the footage. Where yeah. is the footage? What if it wasn't even that good and they were just being nice to me? What if they never actually recorded it? <laughs> 
this was all a joke just to make me nervous. It was all a pipe dream. Yeah, I need to ask for it. Uh, Yeah, but no, so people always have a lot of questions about the planning and stuff like that for the show, but it came together pretty quickly. I I think if the show launched on Monday, I maybe knew for sure that I was going to moderate the thursday before that or something well and what what were the rehearsals like did you did you know joe beforehand did you know academics beforehand i only knew joe mm-hmm. so joe and i we had met like he'd come up to mtv a couple of times and now fans of the show have gone digging on my instagram and showed me i posted a photo of slaughterhouse at south by a few mm-hmm. years ago but joe and i went skydiving together last oh, right. year mm-hmm. um so that's how we really got to know each other that was one of the longest work days of my <laughs> life <laughs> We got up at five in the morning, drove out to Jersey to pick him up. He was still sleeping, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Was it you knocking on the door? Yeah, we were banging on the door, <laughs> calling, doing everything. It was me and my coworker, Natalie, who runs production for the news channel. I'm glad she came on this adventure. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we picked up Joe. We go skydiving, talk shit about Complex the whole time. Just the way he does on the yeah, show, yeah. that is Joe. You know, I had to explain to him. I was like, look, we're not just one big entity that's here to destroy you. Like, we're people, whatever. So right. it was a long day, but by the end of it, I feel like we really got along. And now he just feels like a crazy big brother, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah. we get along. So it sucks, though, when we make fun of each other, like, especially if I make jokes at him or throw shade. I'm just a sarcastic person. Talking shit is my way of showing affection or, you know, whatever people are like you're so shady and you're so mean to john like he's like a brother we talk shit to each other 24 7 right it's the only thing we do also he's an adult he's an adult yeah. Yeah. you would be surprised how many men attack me on social media either about joe or academics so i'm like cool men attacking a woman over two grown men nothing yeah. wrong with this equation right. at right. all it's also strange. also anybody who attacked you uh that Big Sean was a better rapper in whatever year that was than Kanye. I think I forgot. I've blocked it all out because the Kanye thing turned into such a circus. But that was my first prep for like uh, the internet going on attack. And I've had to deal with it a lot since Everyday Struggle. Do you block people on Twitter? A lot. Mm -hmm. My block list must be as long as Joe's at this point. And then people get pissed. They'll make other accounts or they'll hit me on Instagram. Like, why did you block me? Look. I have to deal with a lot on a day-to-day. I just don't like the negativity. It's cool, like, if you don't like me or my work, for sure, feel free to talk about it. But when you want to send me six tweets telling me how horrible you think I am at my job, why should I keep taking the abuse? Yeah, right. You know, I block you. I just don't... It's your do life. You, like, yeah. Do you also search your own name? Never. Well, is it because it's impossible to search for your own name because <laughs> everybody spells it wrong? spelling. Yeah. <laughs> no, to, no, Then you have to like, search good. for like Madagascar. And All of the misspellings <laughs> that I could possibly find. No, I just don't do it because I don't want to see what they have to say. <laughs> Feedback is always good. I am so open to criticism. Mm-hmm. And so if someone hits me like, hey, I think you could do this better or blah, blah, blah on the show, I'm open to it. But a lot of it is just very hateful. Mm-hmm. Fuck this girl. Replace her. You look stupid. You know, I'm just like, I, I'm not a model i didn't sign up to do this because of my look so when i just i don't want to search i don't think anything good can come from me searching my name so at the very beginning um you understood how powerful each personality was on each side of you did you have any sort of plan of how you would like control how it would go not at all (laughs) and it's only been three months but it feels like it's been a year already (laughs) i'm scared to even watch the first episodes back they would get so intense. So obviously Joe has been in the industry for a long time. He has a big personality. He's very much a showman. You can even see in the way he talks to the camera. 
it's really a learning experience working with him for academics he has his youtube channel and such a strong fan base mm -hmm. but he does his own thing at home he's not an industry dude if you notice people ask me about him all the time because they haven't seen him at events yeah so it's two completely different things one person is used to being the showman one who's used to doing his thing in his own private space yeah and, and me, just his voice by the way yeah exactly you know and then when he does his like streams you'll see his face so i think for him it's also been an adjustment period being on a more public platform that's not just his fans but a bigger audience all these industry people mm -hmm. um asking so yeah i really had no idea how it would go i met academics for the first time both joe and i did when he came up to audition to see how he vibed with joe <laughs> on set um joe really liked him and they hit it off but if you notice <laughs> i don't know the episodes it's a roller coaster yeah, it really yeah. is it depends like if they're in a chill mood it could be chill if joe <laughs> wants to yell at yachty then it's gonna be a crazy episode it's what time really do you start in the morning um i get there at like 6 30 and we start rolling at 7 30 that's a that's a lot for that it's time of day really yeah <laughs> early and i'm not a morning person so it's been me trying to undo you know two decades of being a night person yeah and suddenly wake up at 5 a.m every day which sucks <laughs> well how do you mellow out to get on camera at all in the morning yeah i probably have like two or three coffees by the time we're rolling you know mm -hmm. i wake up and joe has like eight <laughs> <laughs> he just wakes up like that it's funny he's like up and excited you know for him because he's not worked in corporate life full time mm -hmm. to him i think it's kind of an adventure yeah <laughs> he's like curious to like come and see how things work and oh my god and you guys take lunch breaks you know so for him it's more exciting to like get up come to the office do this and then he goes home i still have to stay at the office so it's not <laughs> it's really not that exciting yeah. it's it's pretty good perks for the what is he the director of vibes chief culture director yeah. Yeah. his fucking yeah. made up title yeah. <laughs> Joe. Um, he says that until he stays till 10 o'clock and all the employees come and then he can't handle it right. who are these people what are they doing <laughs> here what are the biggest moments beyond the yachty thing and the migos thing for you biggest moments on the show oh maybe the vic mensa thing oh my <laughs> all like very dramatic moments yeah but isn't that every episode like what has been a chill episode there's one episode we did a few weeks back. It was like a Thursday episode. We were just so loose. I don't know what it was. We were delirious. And so having guests has become the stressful thing because now I realize whenever I go into an interview, there's going to be no problems. We're going to do a nice, chill interview. With these two, you never know what's going to happen. Or like the Vic Mensa thing blindsided me. I yeah, had yeah. no idea. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that Ak had the Chirac channel. I really didn't know. And so the hard thing about those moments is remembering that people can see my face and I need to figure out my reaction because sometimes I'm generally just trying to understand. Like, I was trying to hear Vic explain why he was mad, you know, but then fans will get mad. Like, why didn't you defend him? How would you let someone disrespect him on your show? I was like, to be honest, I, I just literally was so stunned by it. I was trying to understand what was going on. But on the episodes where we don't have guests, and you could feel the chemistry we're gelling more as we get deeper into the show and we're just having fun and laughing those to me are my favorites it doesn't feel like work it just feels like we're having a good time my two favorite moments um, oh you have the show. some oh totally okay no i think that i think first that, time long time yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I love the show and I, I think it's it's really developed in three months which is like you know and I've, I've told that to Chops, and I've told that to Ross, and I've told it to, like, Hollywood everybody. Hollywood Chops. And, and <laughs> one of my favorite moments is when um, you guys – this is before uh, Jay-Z tweeted every rapper, including Mouse. including Joe. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and Joe's always had this, like, weird sort of relationship with Jay. So you guys were talking about 
who had more classic albums or what defined a classic album mm-hmm. or whatever. And it was like Kanye and Jay. Right. And Joe was like passionately going through every Jay album and saying like whether it was actually like classic or not. Uh-huh said so much to me about like not only his hip-hop knowledge but like also that he can put like personal beef aside and just really zone in and and give you good analysis on something so that was that was awesome my other favorite moment is from the bet award red carpet when Irv Gotti was up there and you held a sign up with the nine different joe faces and this is so Irv Gotti he's up there and he's like He's like, I'm number nine. I'm number nine Joe Buttons. I love Joe Buttons. I'm a happy Joe Buttons. And he kept saying Joe Buttons, Joe Buttons, Joe Buttons. <laughs> and like Joe always takes it in stride. Like whoever calls him, you know, Buttons like DJ Envy or yeah. like whoever it is. He finally like just like had a moment. And he was just like, it's Joe Button. My name is Joe <laughs> Button. <laughs> I was like, this is the best thing ever. That's funny. That was such a traumatic night. I barely remember. I need to like go rewatch the whole episode or something yeah. like that. By Joe way, is such an interesting person. Sorry to cut no. you off. Yeah, please. This is my <laughs> house. How dare you? Um, but I remember Eric and I did uh, BT red carpets like years ago, and mm-hmm. you'd be out there forever. Oh, how long were you on that red carpet for? And were you when? When was the Migos in the middle of that? Well, first of all, let me just say, not to sound like we're super old, but. When we did BET red carpet, we were out there like in the sun and it was awful. Thank God you guys were like they added like, they added the roof thing because yeah. when I've done it for the past few years, yeah, it's ninety degrees. You're huh. standing outside sweating. Oh, like, yeah. I hate doing carpets. Yeah, this was the first year. I was like, cool, you guys added this. It was nice. <laughs> um, we must have been out there for about an hour and a half, two hours. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all that waiting time at the beginning because yeah. no one shows up, and then the rush. Everyone comes mm-hmm. the last twenty minutes, so it's always like that. And I feel like the Migos thing was towards the end, like towards the end of the night. And just so confusing. Yeah. And meanwhile, you've interviewed the Migos like a I bunch have, of times. Yeah. So like, what was <laughs> what was going through your mind when they sat down? And then what was going through your mind throughout? <laughs> okay, so I've had three interviews with the Migos since November 2016, mm-hmm. right? Not counting this one. So, and they know you. Well, who knows, right? right. <laughs> With rappers, I never assume. Like right, some of same. them, I'm like, we're cool. There's face recognition, even if they don't remember my name. Some of them, I can interview them ten times. I never assume. I'll introduce myself to you every time. Mm-hmm. So Madagascar, Alexa. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Madagascar, Nebraska, Alexa. <laughs> to you. Um, at ComplexCon, we had this sit down that was, you know, painful. I was just trying to ask them about the album. We don't like answering questions about the album. It ruins the surprise. I'm like, cool, I feel you. But like, (laughs) here I am doing my job. I've tried everything else. I've talked to you about clothes, your label. I don't know what else. So there was definitely an awkward moment where Quavo and I were like pretty, I feel like noticeably annoyed at each other. (laughs) It's cool. We put that on the internet. A few months later, we launched a show, Complex Live, in January. I did another one with them. They were in great spirits. The album had just come out. We did this round table, so everyone had their own camera. It was just weird. They were having fun. All ad-libs. Cool. It wasn't awkward. Yeah. And then one more time, I ran into them at South by Southwest. I was trying to ask them about the Calvin Harris song, Slide. Again, they started singing and doing ad-libs. So look, it's going to be either a tense interview where they're not trying to fuck with you or they're in a great mood, you're joking and you're ad-libbing. So those are three. Mm-hmm. So going into that, academics had never met the Migos. He's a super big fan. You know, mm-hmm. He's meeting all these people for the first time. Joe gives no fucks. He <laughs> wants to talk to no one ever. Right. So in our voting system, we voted yes. Like this sh- Why wouldn't we talk to the Migos on the carpet? They're the biggest rap group out, whatever, whatever. And then they come up and I cannot hear anything. So I do my <laughs> intro. I'm like, yo, what up? 
they start talking i can't hear it's just loud on the carpet but yeah. everyone else will talk loudly so you can hear i was trying to read their lips and i just gave up i was like look act you're super excited <laughs> this is your first migos interview just go get them so that's why i'm like all fidgety in the interview not knowing and then finally i'm like leaning in really trying to hear what they're saying so that whole migos thing guys i did not understand it until we got back to the hotel and saw the footage i couldn't hear a single word they said so the do i look like i was left off bad and bougie had no idea that's what he said mm-hmm. couldn't understand why joe threw the mic it was just all <laughs> i was just literally confused by the whole thing and then i was like please don't fight yeah, so let me yeah. jump in the middle but i got a lot of text messages from people who were like don't you ever jump in the middle of a bunch of dudes trying to brawl again well in hindsight right. does it look like he was left off of bad and bougie <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't it doesn't he looks just as fly as the rest of them maybe he wasn't left off of it and ak is just so funny man the yeah. opening with there's a running joke i clowning him about that all the time who opens a question like that there's such like an innocence in and he doesn't mean anything malicious right. he genuinely is like look man people have been laughing and i've been waiting to ask you this question watching it back was just straight comedy Could it, it's i know people thought it was scripted especially because of the way he was just like what say it again yeah but it was i swear to god we couldn't hear anything i just love that the woman in the back our talent booker yeah, yeah. has become like a star on her own yeah, yeah. Like, do you have a favorite meme that's come out of that um hers is probably the best for <laughs> the one in the slow motion shot with when act like looks around for a second yeah. to try to like gauge the situation yeah, yeah. and figure out what to do but then the photo of all three of us that people keep using we're all just looking Leaning in. i'm just kind of like literally a little confused act is super confused and joe just has his like bitch face on it's how would you describe that face uh, it's uh probably like joe button number five yeah <laughs> joe buttons oh my five. god that's my favorite i need to like frame that in my apartment or something <laughs> that that to me is just us in a nutshell so this is an opportunity that like you didn't go to complex for but this show has defined you do you think that are you having more fun with it than you thought are you getting better reactions than you thought like do you want to do you want to quit yeah (laughs) if you're gonna quit can you announce it on our show (laughs) if i want to quit everyday struggle yeah guys you heard it here first (laughs) yeah Yeah, uh the complex journey has been interesting because when they hired me Um, It was to be an anchor. So we want you to lead our election coverage and figure out big shows and sort of develop into that person. But unfortunately, being a manager and being talent is so difficult. Managing people takes a lot of time and energy, especially when you're managing other talent and then focusing on the election. So I spent all of last year, we were on the road at all of the the Democratic convention, the Republican at all the debates. And I really learned a lot. I was doing live streams and politics. I'm not that great at politics. I don't love it. So at the time, I wasn't enjoying it, and I was starting to wonder if this made sense for me. I was still doing music interviews, but yeah, there was a point where I was like, maybe this is not where the path I'm supposed to be going down. And like like I said, Everyday Struggle came up so suddenly. Um, so when the show launched, I really had no idea what the reception would be. I never thought it would be as big as it is. I never in a million years. I thought it would take us a long time to build up. So that has been overwhelming. All positive but overwhelming just the feedback you know like a lot of support a lot of people who hate me um when i'm outside a lot of people say hi and like it's all good but it's definitely overwhelming but has anybody ever come up to you on the street and said they didn't like you no they only do that online right right. so that's why Mm -hmm. like i always feel like when people say things online because i'm in in 10 years nobody's ever come up to us and said anything negative Mm. 
So, like, you know, I think that either people are pussies or people... Right. Well, probably. They're pussies. They definitely are, right? I I think so. It's cool to be brave on the internet, but people say horrible things. Like, after the Vic Mensa episode, someone was like, I hope your mom dies in her sleep tonight. And I can understand you being mad about a show, but what would ever make you want to say that to another human being? But also, where's the connection there? Like, why you? What does my, right. they, because, yeah, look, it's it's the weirdest thing. So these guys both have very big fan bases and they make up all these crazy storylines. So if they feel like I'm siding with Joe too much, they're mad at me. If they feel like I'm siding with academics, they're mad. But really, it's just my opinion. If I feel strongly about something, I will speak up. It's not that I'm trying to agree with, with any of them. So whenever something happens on the show, like the Vic Mensa thing that they didn't like. Yeah, those are the comments. You dumb slut. You stupid bitch. I hope your mom dies in her sleep. Like, I get those a lot. There are the arguments, the Kanye versus Jay-Z stuff. Mm-hmm. There are um, sort of newsy topics that you do take on on Everyday Struggle. Is there Are there topics that you guys would rather shy away from? It's Because it, it's it's interesting to, to hear when when Joe was so adamant about L.A. Reid's negative effect on Def Jam and right. the R&B side, and that, that's, that's interesting to me. That's not a necessarily a talking point that you go into, mm-hmm. and then it became news, right? Are there boundaries to what you guys want to have in your topics every day? Hmm. I would say so far, not really. I mean, hip-hop is the thread, and so I think we're never going to stray so far outside of it. Something that has absolutely nothing at all to do with hip-hop, but if there's a thread, it is connected back to the culture, I think it's fair game. As long as we have like smart and insightful things to say, and it's it's really interesting listening to them. I learn a lot from them, especially uh, someone like Joe, who has so much experience. He always comes with a different perspective because he knows more of the behind-the-scenes thing, so especially since hip-hop touches so many things now, I think like it's only growing there's like not too many limits on what we can talk about because rap is everywhere yeah totally you know which is good opens up a whole new world for us yeah congratulations on an amazing run so far Thank congratulations you. on the last three months of which have been you know like really rocketing out there and and congratulations on everything that's about to come your way you're working alongside two people with uh with really big fan bases and i don't yeah. know if you have like a nadeska hive itself or if they have a name but i think that we should call it pinky and the brains <laughs> you were waiting huh you had that one in your pocket for like 30 minutes all right guys i'm gonna let it slide I mean, if we want to run with it, it's it's even weird to think about the concept of uh, having fans. Like, because I've been doing this for a while, there are definitely some people who have followed me since the MTV days and follow interviews and will check in and be like, "Hey, I've been watching you forever." But like, even thinking of the term like having fans is still like a little bit of a weird. You guys are used to it. You're celebrities well, yeah, out here. Yeah, oh my God, like, we're we're so famous. We are, we are indoor boys hidden in our Upper West Side apartment. Yeah, we're so verified. Like, it's crazy. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Uh, for having me. I've been a fan for a long time. I can't believe I finally made it to, <laughs> yeah. to the podcast. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if people want to find out more about us, It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, A Waste of Time with It's The Real. And if people want to go get their tickets, which they should, right now for our live podcast celebration of Rockefeller Records going down in just eight days, July 26th at Highline Ballroom. Where can they go? You can go to itsthereal.com, buy your tickets today. They are also available on TicketWeb. Go to TicketWeb. Um, you can go and listen to all of our podcasts on soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. We are also on Spotify and iTunes. Search for a waste of time with It's The Real. We're on basically any streaming service you want to go find us at. We are also on Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, 
Instagram at It's The Real. If you want to find us on Snapchat, we are It's It's The Real and It's The Real. Eric, It's The Real was taken. Listen, guys, this podcast doesn't go anywhere unless you spread the word. And we know that it starts with us, so we like to spread the word. Jeff, who would you like to tell about the podcast right now? I want to tell what we going to do oh. on... Once again, you steal my... My shout. Go right. ahead. No, you just do it. Because I have somebody else. All right. Well, I would like to shout out What We Gonna Do, official WWGD, who is an awesome supporter of us, a longtime supporter of us, and this week did what you all should do, which is went to iTunes and left a five-star review and a great summary of who we are and what we have going on with this podcast. We appreciate that. Go to iTunes, leave a comment, rate us, review, and spread the word about us shouts to you i honestly forgot that he did that i was gonna shout him out because he'd been talking about us on twitter oh well we appreciate um, that too but uh also we should really talk about who we're gonna shout out so this doesn't happen anymore (laughs) i i'm gonna shout out zeke hirschberg who is inviting me to go see OMBPZ tonight at webster hall webster hall is about to shut down for a couple of years and never be the same again so i'm going down to pay my respects but also mostly to see my friends at 300 and especially zeke hirschberg yeah you know what jeff i want to make up for my my shout out sort of uh mishap and shout another person out which is our good friend matt fastow who was looking in the village voice and saw that the highline ballroom had advertised our upcoming show at highline ballroom on july 26th for our podcast a waste of time with it's the real and it said the waste of time on tuesday july 26th well so, you know the details aren't all right but we are the waste of time so name name another waste of time just for people who don't know jeff yeah when is this live podcast we're doing honestly if you don't know already <laughs> you don't deserve to show up how about that oh uh, not for real for real sure sure we'll see you guys next week right